God's holy word is the foundation on which we build and can build every aspect of our lives and especially our families. So I'm going to invite you to stand together with me as I read aloud from Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, The verses for our text today focus on the role that family and parents have in bringing Christ into the center of the household. So hear the word of the Lord. Faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'd like to invite you to pray with me one more time today to present ourselves before the Lord, to ask him who inspired these words to be written. He spoke them verbally to Moses that he might grant to us understanding. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit. He likes to help us understand what God is actually trying to tell us. And then let's pray that he helps us to live those things out. And pray for me as I share these words today that God will enable me to share them in a way that glorifies him. Let us pray. Precious Father, we thank you that you're all of our Father. Through Christ, you've brought us into your family. We thank you for these words we consider today in your holy word. These words are living, they are active, and they are powerful by themselves. May they come into our hearts and our minds this day and transform us, and may your life become more evident and present in our hearts and in our homes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a short series on the topic of home, the importance of building faith in our homes, not just in our community or out there someplace, but learning the skills and techniques and the guidelines that Scripture gives us about how to build a faith-centered household. And today we're going to talk specifically on how we can build practices into our daily and weekly lives to accomplish that. Um, I grew up in a great family marvelous parents, both mother and father, and had four siblings. We had a great time together. And we had, at the center of our living space, in our living room, right in the center of our home there, prominently located on a coffee table right there, which we saw it every time we went inside out of the house every day. A Bible looked a lot like this. Big, leather-covered, heavy, prominent, and there it sat, right there. The problem was, I can only remember two times in my entire life that either of my parents ever opened that Bible, or that I did for that matter, and read anything or taught us anything out of there. It had a Bible at a central place in our, in our house, to be sure, but it was never at the center of our family life. Well, friends, the rationale my parents probably had might be some of us. Well, they paid good money to put all five of us, all five, my, myself and my four siblings, through parochial school from first grade all the way through high school. That was an investment. They somehow thought that was going to do it, to get faith and in, in the principles of the Bible into our lives. But somehow that plan didn't work so well for me. The parochial education, the stuff they taught us was great. It helped me get on to college and, and on in life. I appreciated that. But the faith stuff... Uh, not, not so much. Well, I can remember my first week in parochial school, first grade. It was still summer-like outside, 
And, you know, I really wanted to be, I'm staring out the window in class and wishing I was outside playing because it felt like summer and I was just imagining climbing a tree or playing baseball or something. Meanwhile, a teacher was calling on me and I wasn't paying attention. Well, her response to that was really gentle. She came and took me by the seat of my uniform pants and dangled me out the second story window. I'm not kidding. There was a concrete sidewalk below, kind of held me there for a second and said, if I catch you looking out the windows again, I'm going to drop you the next time. Well, that um, accomplished a couple things for me. I never looked out those windows again, and it instilled the fear of God in me, to be sure. But as for loving God, <clears throat> learning to love him, I honestly, I more often goofed off in church. You know, we went to church. I wasn't really listening. I wasn't dialed in. I, I didn't have Christ at the center of my life. And so I went to church and kind of goofed around. I remember one Sunday, my dad brought up a spiritual conversation on the way home from church. We all piled into the station wagon. And he asked me particularly, because he know, I knew I wasn't paying attention, he said, so what did you think about what the, the pastor said up there? I'm like, you know, <clears throat> he goes, that's because you weren't paying attention. And then he said, if Willie Mays was up there, would you have been paying attention? I couldn't argue with it. I said, well, of course, Dad, I love Millie, Willie Mays. He was the greatest ball player of that time. Everybody wanted to get his baseball card, and I finally got one. I remember where I was at the Jewel parking lot. I opened it up, that little piece of gum's in there, and there's Willie Mays. I'm like, yes, I wish I still had it. I could probably pay for a car or something with that. And my sister Karen, who was six years older than myself and my younger brother, uh, eight years older than him, would take us to church sometimes, and she wanted to make church more fun for us. She knew how boring it was for us, so she would take us up into the choir loft. Above, we don't have a choir loft here, but above the sanctuary is a choir loft, and we would make a game out of tearing up the bulletin in small pieces and dropping pieces of paper over there, and if we could get them to land on people's heads, we got two points, okay? Um, I'm not suggesting or recommending that behavior. I'm just telling you, I was goofing around in church. I was not serious about my faith as a young person. Got to high school at a parochial school also, and there they had religion classes every day. I got kicked out of religion class for goofing off too much. It was so much fun, I goofed off that the person leading that class, the brother, he just said, you're just going to the library for the rest of this year, and you're just going to read books. And he gave me a Bible to read, but didn't do much good either. The point was, the Bible was around and in our, our lives in some degree, but it never had gotten into my heart. And this points to our theme for this series and for today especially. Nothing has more impact on our kids' faith formation than our children seeing us as parents demonstrate what the Bible talks about and teaching them those principles right in our households every day. We're going to look at five very specific action verbs from the passage I read to you a little while ago. Number one, loving God. What does that look like? Loving him with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. What does that look like as parents? Because we need to be in that place if we're going to be able to help our children. Secondly, to fix or to fixate in our minds and our hearts the things that God has taught us. Thirdly, teaching. What does it mean to intelligently and in intentionally teach our children what we have learned from God in a way that they can understand it and apply it in their lives? And then how do we talk about God all day, every day? That's what the passage says here. When you get up in the morning, when you're walking around, when you're having dinner, when you're going to bed, talk about God all the time. We talk about all kinds of things, but how do we get more conversation about spiritually important things going on? We're going to talk about that. And last but not least, how do we put this into practice in some very specific ways? Well, friends, I want to start by saying this. There are no perfect parents in this world. Your parents weren't perfect. I know you think they were, but they weren't perfect. If you're a parent, you're not perfect either. And I got this other revelation this week. You know, there's no perfect children either. Okay, we're all flawed. 
The whole point is God is trying to help all of us grow from our currently flawed state. Sin is what the Bible calls that into the, uh, the image of Jesus in a lifelong journey. So we need to cut, all of us need to cut each other a whole lot of slack in this process and allow God to work his purposes into our lives. But when it comes to parenting, very few people I know actually took parenting classes. I remember when our, my wife was pregnant with our daughter Julie many years ago, and we took Lamaze classes, the physical part of it. She learned how to breathe, and, and that was going to make her feel better. Um, I'm not sure how much good it really did, to be honest with you, because I was there in the birthing room with her, but she kept doing it until she got a sore throat. She learned that part of it. We learned how to take care of the baby. But parenting, in a spiritual sense, is something we all kind of have learned on the fly, right? So you have good intentions, you get married, you're thinking about it, and you have children, and all of a sudden life gets really complicated. You have one child and a second child, and my parents had five, and that's a prescription for probably chaos, and some have more than that. We just figure it out, or we try to figure it out. Life's so busy, we've got to work, we've got to provide for our families, we've got to clothe them, we've got to get them to school. All this stuff's going on, and meanwhile, figuratively speaking, that Bible's still sitting there, not being accessed. Life's hard, it's busy, so we've got to be really intentional about this if we're going to get, be, do what God's asked us to do and be intentional about accepting the fact that maybe some of us have been a little bit absent on this. Maybe we've got some ground to catch up on, and that's okay because it's a lifelong process. Sometimes we as grandparents are doing a lot of the things we wish we had time to do when we were parents because we've retired and we have a less complicated schedule, so we have that quality time, and that's great. God's intention, the communities that God is speaking these words to in the Old and New Testaments, they all lived, the families lived together, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they all lived a lot of times in the same household. So there was a connectedness. Now we get separated by distance and people moving away. But friends, it's never too late to start. As it's been said in an ancient proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. We can always start from where we are today and pick up the ball and run with it down the field in, this, in these purposes of God. But God in his infinite wisdom has assigned all parents the task and the responsibility to teach and raise their children in the Christian faith. This is a command of God, by the way, not a suggestion. It's there as God saying, this, you shall do this. This is my intention. So let's just consider this. Getting married is optional. You're free to do it or free not to do it. Having children is actually optional as well. You're free to have children or choose, and some choose not to have children. But once we have children, teaching and training them in Christian values is no longer optional. It's commanded and required by God to do it because it's the primary responsibility he gives to parents. And the good news is those whom God calls to do something, he also equips them and empowers them to do it. A lot of us think parenting is so complicated, especially if we've been at it for a while, long enough to where we're seeing relationships not the way we hope to have them with our children, whether they're young or whether they're in teen years or adult life, and then it gets really complicated. But God's power is here through the scriptural commands and the desires he has for us to bring about the kinds of relationships in our households that allow for that kind of dynamic to happen. We're going to talk more about that today. But to get this in perspective, one of the methods that some parents choose is to try and control their children, to control their exterior behaviors, and that only produces challenge and difficulty for everybody. It's God's desire and his call for us to seek to influence and instruct our children, not control and manipulate them. 
You see, parents who seek to control children produce resentful ones who reject their influence, so they lose both control and influence. Those who seek to influence by loving faith will build the future leaders of the world. Author Jerry White in his great book, Making Peace with Reality, observes that children learn best what they have transmitted to them through observing others around them, even more than what's verbally taught. So we ask us to consider carefully what it is that we want to be transmitting to the next generation, or as grandparents, two generations down from. What do we want to transmit through our lives and through our ways? Well, he suggests a few things we might want to be passing out of the next generations. First and foremost, a sense of destiny. The children are unique, they're special, that they can have confidence that they are, our purpose for being on earth is significant. Secondly, like I said, having a sense of purpose, that God has a specific mission and call for every single human being in his family. No people are accidents, and everybody that's born of God and born into this world because of him has a mission that God designed them to fulfill. Thirdly, that will instill a sense of love, that love is the highest value, the most important thing, and that will be at the center of every Christian household. Fourthly, a sense of security, and the world is filled with war and anger and frustration and, and fear that there's a place, that our homes can be that sanctuary, that place of refuge, a safe place to share to experience life, and also to bring our troubles and our concerns. Fifthly, to instill within our children a sense of hope, a positive expectation in a world right now that's getting more and more negative and confused. And last but not least, a sense and a desire for godliness that will instill and inspire our children to have a passion for God and a passion for the gospel. Proverbs 22.6 puts it this way, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not return. He will return, not turn from it, excuse me. This has often been misapplied, I believe, as just make your kids be just like you or mold your kids to be exactly like each other. That's not what it says. It says raise and instruct and nurture and care for your children in the way that God has created them along the lines of the mission he's created them to fulfill, along the line with the giftings and abilities and talents and intelligence that they have, that we have to see all of that and then craft and design a plan to bring that to maturity in them. And that will lead them into the path that God has for them. Carl Orff said it so beautifully when he said, tell me and I forget. Show me and I remember. Involve me and I understand. You see, this raising of our children and growing in faith needs to be seen as a partnership. We're all growing together. None of us are complete until we get to heaven. We're still flawed, imperfect beings, as I said before. God's purpose is that we grow up together in Christ. But for whatever reason, not sure exactly what it is, that I fear many parents fall into the trap of just defaulting and not doing the spiritual education and Christian education of their children, thinking somebody else will just do that, or Sunday school teachers will do that, or the church will do that. Well, now, friends, I believe our children's ministries, our youth ministries here at Christ Church of Oakbrook, and I say this unabashedly, are the best on this planet. I watch what goes on week in and week out, not just the 700 kids that are going to be here for camps here and, and off-sites being led by wonderful pastors uh, like Aaron and others, we have a marvelous program here for kids of all ages, but that's only meant to augment and supplement what's going on seven days a week in the household, never meant to replace it, never meant to subvert that. 
God intended in the home that we'd be talking about and building faith in our children. I'm going to come back to the one thing the passage said to us and read it in a different translation. For us as parents or grandparents to be able to transmit, not just dictate to our children things, we have to actually know God's Word really well. We have to be developed in our spiritual life really well. So back to the passage in the message translation in in Deuteronomy 11, it says, place these words on your hearts. Take to heart what God is saying in the Scripture. Get them deep inside you. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads foreheads as a reminder. Now that we've got Apple watches and small devices, we can actually have God's Word on our hands and in our our places that we didn't used to be able to have them technologically. And then it says this, teach them. Once you understand them and know them or living them out, instruct and gently guide and teach your children these same things. Understanding how hard it was for you to learn them and how hard it was for you to begin to apply those things in your life. Not to expect immediate change just because I told you so. I told you not to do this. No, to understand how hard it is for us to grow and change, it'll help us instruct our children more gently. Then he says, talk about these things wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until the time you fall into bed at night. Inscribe them on your doorposts and the gates of your cities so that you'll live a long time and your children with you on the soil that God promised to give your ancestors for as long as there is sky over the earth. I need to say this very gently but also very clearly that, friends, we live in a time in human history when our children are being bombarded with information, disinformation, false understandings, flat-out lies about things in life, and especially when it comes to spiritual things. At no point in human history could young children just open up an iPad and suddenly be online and being bombarded with such a plethora, a wide range of misinformation that they're so easily confused. It's high time that we step up our game and recognize the world that we live in and take back our homes take back the education of our children in the Christian faith. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We've got to be especially vigilant when there's so many strains of variation. Our culture is not going to change in the direction of what we hope it will someday unless things are changing in our Christian households. We are called to be the light of the world that starts with us as parents and grandparents inculcating these things into our children and not expecting the culture or the school or some other place to accomplish that for us. But friends, this requires some time and preparation. A lot of us focus on getting better at certain things. This time of year, a lot of people focus on getting better at golf. I gave up on that a long time ago. Now I just decided to do it for fun because I'm not going to be that great at it. It's just one of those things. We need to focus on being better parents. No matter whether our kids are 2 or 20 or 40, it's a lifelong process. And that means being intentional. Getting into a Bible study if you're not in one. Getting into Bible study fellowship for men or for women will be a deep drive, a dive into the Word of God and really accelerate your growth. Getting into the well, our evening program for women or a men's Bible study on Thursday morning. Many opportunities we offer so that you're constantly growing in your faith and in your knowledge of the Scripture so that you can continue at every stage to transfer that into your children's lives. So what does this teaching look like? Does it mean having a chalkboard in your, in your you know, living room and, and drawing out charts and doing theological discussion? No, not exactly. 
The Amplified Bible translates Deuteronomy 11:19 this way. He says in this translation, you shall teach them diligently to your children, intentionally, knowing what you're talking about, knowing a plan to do it, and then impressing God's precepts on their minds, so intellectual education, and penetrating their hearts with his truths, teaching them in such a way as they actually get it and understand it. Not like you see it, but in a way that they can better understand it. And then speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. This means bringing Bible messages down to your child's level of understanding at every stage of their development. So to help me when I was raising our kids, I brought a couple friends along here to illustrate. These two guys, this is Fuzzy Bear and this is Bun Bun. Um, these two knew the Bible really well because they taught Bible lessons to my kids starting 30 plus years ago every night. We never had time in the morning, we had all different schedules, lunch times were all over the place, dinners weren't together. So every night we set aside time with each of our children separately because they're six years apart in age and sometimes we did some things together where I used their stuffed animals to teach them the Bible stories. Or in my son's case, it was G.I. Joe or Max Steel or his action figures got in. But we animated and taught the Bible stories using one theme and they looked forward to that time every single night. They couldn't wait, especially when we did the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. They got every stuffed animal and action figure in the house and got them all out. And we had this whole huge, and I would just push them all across the, the bed or the table to illustrate that. Bye-bye, I gotta put these guys away. But anyway, at every stage, we brought the messages we were teaching them in those brief moments, maybe 20 to 30 minutes every single night, and then we'd pray together at a level they could understand. That tradition is now where grandparents of three children is carried over to our grandkids. And I've got little squirrel nutkin, I've got finger puppets for them, all these kinds of things. That may not be your style, that may not be the way you want to do it, but make it fun. Be creative, bring some energy, act like you actually want to be doing it, act like that you're excited about it. Because we are, we love our children more than anything else in this world by a long shot. Let's find a way to get the message across to them in ways that they look forward to that time not force-feeding them, but gen gently spoon-feeding them truths that they can understand in the way that they can receive them. What other physical items can we be placing around our homes as gentle but continuous reminders? We've got them all over the place in our house, not just trite Christian things. We rotate them, we change them from time to time, but constant reminders of who God is, the place he has in our lives, and that this home is a place where peace and love are going to rule. That's what the Bible's talking about, especially in a time, like I said, where there's so much information overload and disinformation out there. Our homes need to be that sanctuary, truly, not just like a church sanctuary, but a place that's separate from the world around where we can be strengthened and encouraged. Friends, there's a great resource I'm going to suggest to all of you. Uh, you can get the book on, at a bookseller online, or we may have a supply in our bookstore. It's probably gone by now, but it's called The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family. Includes over 100 practical and tested ideas to build lasting faith in kids by Kara Powell. Dr. Carol Powell has been in this pulpit, maybe that pulpit over there a few years back, uh, sharing on these themes as one of our summer lights. It's a great resource for parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. I'm just going to share a couple of her suggestions, interestingly enough. Number one, ask them about school. Well, that sounds like a really dumb, simple thing. Don't ask them, did you learn anything in school? What did you learn in school today? Nothing. Ask them about what happened. Who'd they talk to? Did they make some friends? What did they do? You might actually get down on their level and find out what they're really doing. There's some stuff they don't want to tell you, and that's okay. 
but get on the topic of conversation about what's going on in school with them that they do want to talk about. Another thing she suggests is keep your promises, no matter how small, every time. That builds confidence and builds trust. A third suggestion in this modern age for older kids that have this technology, text them and share your three favorite things about them. In the midst of all the kids are texting back and forth, getting one from a parent or a grandparent that just tells them you love them, the favorite three things. It'll build them, strengthen them, and encourage them. Give them your undivided attention. Now, I don't have my cell phone in my pocket now, but most of the time I do. It's turned off. It's back there in the sacristy when I'm preaching. But, you know, when you're with your kids, they're doing this, or they're on the phone, or they're on their computers, or on their devices, and if you're talking to them and you're looking at the sports scores, they're just, well, oh, just got to check the Sox score. Oh, they lost again. No kidding. Or the Cubs score. They're winning again. We're in a distracted world. Us as parents, friends, we need to be undistracted. Be different. Be there, listen, and be, let nothing come in the way of that. I love that idea. You can also ask them how you can be praying for them, and then take the moment to pray for them. I suggest that on a daily basis. And then a week later, ask how that situation worked out. Follow up. That means taking some notes, careful notes on your prayer list. I like this one. Let your children or grandchildren choose what you're going to listen to in a long car ride in your car on the radio. That might be interesting. You might learn some new kinds of music. Uh, on our airport ride back from uh, the airport, we just had my grandkids in the car. I was driving them back. We'd been down on vacation with them. And our six-year-old granddaughter wanted to listen to Channel 77. I'm not advertising it, but it's a bebop kind of a station. And you know what? Every sound, song sounded exactly the same to me for an hour and a half. I'm like, but she's back there loving it. It was great because she got to enjoy it. And when I left them off the airport, I turned back my stations, okay? But let them do it. You may not like their music, but if you love them, let them play what they're listening. A lot of times kids have their headphones in, of course, and they're listening to what they want. Here's another suggestion. Send your children or your grandchildren something in the mail, the real mail with a postage stamp on it. There's very little mail that I actually want to get. 95% of it are ads and stuff I want to, and once in a while there's a bill in there. Um, it could mean a lot to your children however old they are, five years old, 15, away at college at 20 years old or so, that they get a postal mail just expressing how much you care and love them. These are some really practical ideas. Our goal and our aim is to create and maintain a positive, loving, and spiritual Christ-centered atmosphere that transcends everything else that's going on in their lives and that they know that that's your top priority. And friends, we can do this. One measuring tool I want to give to you, the sign of great parenting is not your child's behavior. You've been in a grocery store, and there's a child sitting in the front of the shopping cart, grabbing everything on the shelf and throwing it on the floor, and then the kid's crying, screaming at the top of his lungs so he can't have what he wants, and the parents sheepishly look, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not a measure of parenting. That's a normal kid that's just looking for stuff that the mom won't give him, all the sweet stuff. The sign of great parenting is the parent's behavior, not the child's. You can control your behaviors. You can control what you talk about. You can control how you talk about things in front of your children or grandchildren. Dr. Dorothy Nolte penned what I think is a phenomenally practical and encouraging list of things for us to consider as we interact with our children. I shared a few of them in the cover quote on your bulletin for you to take home with you. But here are these words. If children live with criticism, they're going to learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they're going to learn to fight. 
If children live with fear, they're going to learn to be apprehensive. If children live with pity, they're going to learn to feel sorry for themselves. If they live with ridicule, they're going to be very shy and withdrawn. If they live with shame, they're going to learn how to be guilty and feel that all the time. However, if they live with encouragement, children are going to learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, then they're going to learn patience. If they live with praise, they will learn appreciation. If they live with acceptance, they're going to learn how to love. If they live with approval, they're going to learn to like themselves. If they live with recognition, then they're going to learn that it is good to have goals in life. If they live with sharing, they're going to learn generosity. If they live with honesty, they're going to learn truthfulness. If the child lives with fairness, they're going to learn justice. And if children live with kindness and consideration, then they're going to learn respect. It's been said, if we sow a thought, we're going to reap an act. If we sow an act, we're going to reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we'll reap character. And if we sow character, we're going to reap a destiny. This parenting thing is a long, lifelong journey. You're not going to see immediate results. It might take months or years or even decades before you start to see the harvest. But if we're sowing into our children's and our grandchildren's lives these kinds of values, teaching them that God loves them, that God has a plan for their lives, God created them for a divine purpose, we can build and what we're going to reap is a destiny. Our children have the sense of they matter in life, their life matters to others, and they're going to hold themselves differently even amongst their peers. And when people ask why, they're going to say, because I know who Jesus is and that he loves me. Dr. Ken Lehman, not Ken Lehman, who's one of our pastors, I think he may be present here today, but he developed what he wrote, which I think is very profound, a child's Ten Commandments to their parents. We know what the Ten Commandments are in the Bible, in the same book we've just been reading out of, in Deuteronomy, they're echoed out of Exodus. But here's a child's Ten Commandments for us to consider as parents and grandparents. First commandment, my hands are small. Please don't expect perfection when I make a bed, draw a picture, or throw a ball. Secondly, my legs are short. Please slow down so that I can keep up with you. Third, my eyes have not seen the world as you have. Please let me explore safely. Don't restrict me unnecessarily. Fourth is housework will always be there. Amen to that, right? I'm only little for a short time. Please take time to explain things to me about this wonderful world. Fifthly, my feelings are tender. Please be sensitive to my needs. Don't nag me all day long. You wouldn't want to be nagged for your inquisitiveness. Treat me as you would want to be treated. And sixthly, I am a special gift from God. Please treasure me as God intended you to do, holding me accountable for my actions, giving me guidelines to live by, and disciplining me in a loving manner. Seventh, I need your encouragement, but not your praise to grow. Please go easy on criticism. Remember, you can criticize the things I do without criticizing me. And eighth, please give me the freedom to make decisions concerning myself and permit me to fail so that I can learn from my mistakes. Then someday I'll be prepared to make the kind of decisions that life will require of me. Ninth, please don't do things over for me. 
Somehow that makes me feel that my efforts didn't quite measure up to your expectations. I know it's hard, but please don't try to compare me with my brother or sister. That's a big one. And last but not least, please take me to Sunday school and church regularly, setting a good example for me to follow. I enjoy learning more about God. Friends, today we have a choice before us. We have choices to make about a lot of different things. God's desire that through us as Christian parents and grandparents is very much summed up in the very last book of the Old Testament in Malachi where he says this. The whole context of Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16 says this. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with your tears and you weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he, listen to this, he was seeking godly offspring through Christian fathers and mothers. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. God's desire is for godly offspring. He has entrusted us. He has empowered us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Word to be our guide. Friends, with his help, we can do it. My question before we close here today, many of us have a Bible someplace in our house, maybe not as prominently located as mine was growing up. Maybe it's on a shelf someplace. My question is, how prominent are the teachings of Scripture in the center of your family life. If it's not where you think it should be, then my encouragement to you starting today and this week ahead is to change that. Take a step towards making him be at the center of your conversation, Jesus being in the center of your family's life, establishing prayer times, not to be trite or trivial, but to be practical. We can make those minor adjustments that will become major changes. Proverbs 13.22 says it this way, a good life gets passed on even to the grandchildren. These small changes that we make to adjust and improve our walk with God and our family and parenting will bear fruit for many, many years to come, even reaching to our grandchildren. I want to read for you a prayer that was penned by none other than General Douglas MacArthur that's so profound and powerful before I actually do close us in prayer. Hear these words, Build me a child, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when they are weak and brave enough to face themselves when they are afraid. One who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a child whose wishbone will not be where their backbone should be, who will know thee and that to know themselves is the foundation stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here, let them learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let them learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a child whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high, a child whose mas who will master themselves before they seek to master other people, one who will learn to laugh yet never forget how to weep, one who will reach into the future yet never forget the past. 
And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that they may also be serious yet never take themselves too seriously. Give them humility so that they may always remember the simplicity of greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've gifted us with sonship and brought us into your own family as sons and daughters of God. We thank you that we can call you our Father and thank you for the wonderful Father that you are to us and have been every moment of every day of our lives. Lord, I pray for both fathers and mothers, grandmothers and grandfathers in this room today, Lord God. We ask you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we might live into the things to which you call us to do for you, for our children, and for our grandchildren. God, we pray that you will use us as instruments for noble purposes and bring about God-honoring change. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.